It seemed like a good idea at the time. Three days in ultimate seclusion. The flakes that started to fall on your way were hardly worth notice. But now the polar vortex is locked over Canada and, as the drifts creep up to the windows, you feel foolish being miles and miles from any neighbor or route plowed by a road commission. The generator ran out of gas yesterday. But there's plenty of lamp oil and wood for the stove. Surprisingly, your call for help was met with something like joy. An acquaintance has a snowmobile with enough gas for a one-way trip. They're bringing people, food, supplies, beverages, and, if they heard your plea as the last milliamp slipped from your phone, games. That's right, soon you'll be gamers stuck in Snowmageddon. Gamers Stuck in Snowmageddon is a discussion with Northwest Michigan residents about life, the pursuit of happiness, and the four tabletop games they'd like to get stuck with in a fictitious snowpocalypse. I'm your host, Jim Moratsky, and today we're joined by Eric Benak. Eric, welcome to Snowmageddon. Hello, Jim. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So tell me a little bit about, you know, how hard was it for you to choose these games and what criteria did you use? You know, it was pretty hard. Um, some of them came pretty easy. Uh, some of them I just knew right away they would be good games that I would want. And then I had to think, did I want games that were going to be hard to play, games that were easy to play? And I didn't pick games that were very easy to play for the most part. I wanted um, ultimately a games that I thought would reward multiple plays. Because if I had to be stuck with the same couple of games, I wanted to be able to get a lot of different kinds of playing styles out of them, different strategies, um, you know, and assuming there's people with me, um, try to appease to them, try to find different styles of games too, different types. Some, some One game I w might not have put on the list, I added it. We'll talk about that when we get to it. I added it thinking, because I haven't played it a lot, but I was like, you know, I think there's a lot of depth to it, so I think it'd be a good one to add. Super. So is this... A, a scenario that would apply to you? Would you ever seek solitude and uh, and try to be hanging out someplace where there's nothing going on for a few days? Oh, absolutely. That, that'd be a dream. <laughs> I, uh, that's one of my big, uh, my, one of my goals is to make enough money to buy some land and maybe put a, um, something small, like small house. I was thinking like a, a yurt, a couple of yurts, Yurt living is it a big thing now? Tiny houses. Tiny houses are too small for me. I'm a big guy, uh, tall, hefty. I could maybe make it work, but yurts are open. They're the klutz is like perfect home. You can't knock anything down. So yeah, that that that'd be something I'm even done before with some people in the area. We had like a board game weekend out at a cabin, and um, it's fun. Just a weekend of games, you know, relaxing. Absolutely, right up my alley. So you're not into corners. You like like round walls. <laughs> no, I was always, as a kid, I was very, um, when we would go on vacations, we used to go down to Florida a lot and different things like that. My dad would always kind of ban me from going to certain stores. Like, no, that, that place has expensive stuff in it. You can't go in there because you'll knock something down. And, and inevitably I would. So he was right <laughs> to do so. That's great. Okay, well, speaking of corners, um, your first game is a famous designer's makeover of his own game. Um, this is a 2013 release designed by Uwe Rosenberg, published by Lookout Games, and this is Caverna, the Cave Farmers. Mm -hmm. 
Um, why do you hope this comes along with snow to Snowmageddon? It's a game that is adaptable to just about any situation, and just about any kind of player can play it because you can do um, you can win it in many different ways. Have you played this game? Before? I have not. Okay, well, you can farm. You can do a cave. You can you know, empty your cave. You can farm certain kind of animals. You can create uh, end game points by collecting food. You can sell food. You can go on adventures and caves, and you can do all sorts of things. And what I found is there's no one right way to play it, which is what I like. I like games like that because sometimes there are some games that you get stuck on one path, and if you don't do it or somebody else does it better than you, then it's no fun. But this game, if I just wanted to farm, I could farm. Absolutely. Now, I might get penalized at the end because you get penalized for not developing your cave or your farm. So they do incentivize you to balance, but you don't have to, which is what I like. I said I like the uh, adaptability of that format. Hmm. So have you played Agricola that this was kind of a sequel to? And it, how is it different? I've not played that one, unfortunately. I've heard the name. Are there are there too many options in Caverna? Uh, I know there's just a million places to put your workers and different things to do. So that's a good question. Um, in a, in a sense, but I think that you're also dictated by what other people do and what, what you feel comfortable doing. Because you'll be like, "Well, I wanna I wanna get a farm," and then somebody will take that tile, and you can't do it. So you're like, "Well, I got to do something else." You, know, you you will get limited at certain times, but it's not quite as overwhelming as some games, um, especially some games on this list that we'll be talking about later that I know if you're a first-time player, you're going to be in over your head. So what, what drew you to playing tabletop games, and where were you when that happened? Um, I was in college. Uh, I was getting my master's in fiction writing at the time, and I was living in a house up in Marquette. I went to school at Northern Michigan University, and... I was living with my friend Matt at the time and a couple roommates. Um, we, he and I had kind of the basement and the two girls had the upstairs. And he was a gamer. He liked different games. I had never really, you know, to me at that point, a board game was Monopoly, was life. You know, it wasn't any, they're fun, but I didn't really, chess would have been like my example of, you know, an ultimately strategic good game. And I knew a risk, played that a little bit. Um, Stuff like uh, Axes versus Allies. I'd heard of that, but it didn't really interest me. And Matt had games like Carcassonne and um, a couple other games that I can't think of right off the top of my head. Probably Catan. And we'd play games, you know. That's how he and I'd play with him and his brother when I went and visited him in, down by in Lambertville. And yeah, it was just kind of out of nowhere. And when I moved to Traverse City well, almost four years ago, I got in the um, meetup group for the board gamers, and it's a good group of people. So I've I've just stuck with it and developed friendships and connections and better board gaming skills. Great. So you're originally from Hillman. What what brought you from there or from wherever you came from to get to Traverse City? At the time, I was living in Alpena, which is about half an hour from Hillman. Hillman's inland, west, small small town. 2,000 people, probably really best known for a couple of good 
state championship baseball teams in the mid nineties. And, um, Wayne's wire, Wayne wire, it's uh, they do auto screens. It's like a, one of the major manufacturers in the area, but I moved here for a job, a writing position uh, with a uh, marketing firm and they let me go, but I've been doing freelance. So I've just kind of stayed cause I like the area and, and I love the lake. So that's great. Yeah. I'm looking forward to talking about your, your writing a little bit more, but mm-hmm. you also said that you like to, to travel. Um, you've been to a pile of States and hope to get to more. Yeah. Um, what, what do you look for when you go to different places? Are you going to States for national parks or cities or what, or just to, just to check off a <laughs> bucket list or how's that going? We kind of became, when I was younger, we, we would drive to Florida with my mom and dad and my sister uh, and we'd go through a bunch of the states going down and coming back up. And then we went out west, like northwest one year and went around that way. And I just, um, it's interesting to to see the different parts of the country and to see that they're not as different as you might think, but they also are, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, what do I, I usually go somewhere if I'm for a purpose. Like I went to Chicago last year to see a concert. Um, that was my big big trip i hadn't been able to because i'd been stuck with a bad truck for a while but i got my new car and been getting around a lot better with it so hopefully a lot more of that in the future super so uh you're you get along with folks really well and i i at least from what i've seen and so i'd see that you are a good traveler but um what didn't surprise me when you mentioned it is that you've done improv comedy um and that wit and that ability to deal with folks has got to be useful in that sort of situation. But how'd you get into that? Oh, thank you. That was at Northern again. Um, again, I was just kind of introverted, shy at the time. I still am introverted, but I'm more you know, communicative now, kind of extroverted introvert. And I just wanted something to do. So I, I went to the, went to it and it was a group. I don't even think they're around anymore. Um, on the spot and um it was open anybody if you came to practice you you performed so we had a big troupe and you know it was just fun i was the first grad student the group ever had um my friend richard didn't want to because he was also a grad student but he's like well i'm a grad student no i can't i can't do that i was like why what's the difference <laughs> you're not you didn't change you're not you're not a completely different person but i he eventually did didn't join up too as a grad student and it was fun. I uh, get nervous. I would get nervous, but you know, you just kind of got to let let loose and have fun with it. Have you played role playing games at all? Does that kind of thing come into that, or? Oh, you know, it's interesting. I've not done a lot of role playing. Um, not for lack of interest. Just it always seems like I don't know if you've tried to do this before, but you'll be talking to people who do it, and they'll be like, "Well, we have a campaign, and maybe when the campaign's over and." Nobody really wants to teach you, understandably. So I've done a, like a one or two experiences. Uh, video games, I've done some role-playing games, but not as much like actual you know, pen and paper. Okay. So your second game uh, made a real splash when it came on the scene for a lot of reasons. Uh, but it's a 2016 release designed by Jamie Stegmeyer and published by Stonemeyer Games, and that's Scythe. Mm-hmm. Why would you like to have this along? Oh, it's just a fantastic game. Um, this is funny. The 
first time I, I learned it, I learned it from somebody who was very, very impatient teacher and he didn't do a very good job. So he just, he played against another friend of mine, Eric, and we just lost right away. We didn't, <laughs> and at the time, uh, the Kyle, the guy who runs the group, he was like, oh man, I'm, re I'm really bummed you had a bad experience with that game. And I was like, you know, it's not, I can tell it's a good game. It's just not, wasn't taught to me properly. So I want to try it again. And once I finally got it, it was, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, you've played it a handful of times with us and it, there's a lot of depth to it. You can do, you can pursue any route really and win and which goes kind of to one of my big things is if, if there are multiple ways to win, the problem being with that game, as you mentioned, is the, what, what do I do? <laughs> There's so many things to do. Like, do I expand? Do I, do I do this? Do I do that? And that only really comes with playing it. You know, we played Kyle and I and a couple handful of other people played it enough that a group of us got pretty good, you know, and, it's, and it's just beautiful, beautiful artwork, um, beautiful game designs. It's very streamlined. It's not hard to know the mechanics, but the strategies are what take a long time, which is another thing I like. Simplicity that's complex, which we'll go into with one of my other games that I have on my list. Yeah, that uh, I, I agree with you that... It's really hard to learn, it seems to me, a, a game like that. You just have to play it a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's good to have a group of folks to be able to, uh, to to get into it with. Yeah, and it's not, it means competitive, but it's not ignorant. You know, we're not, you're not taunting each other or holding it against each other, you know, for the most part. A couple people with bad attitudes sometimes, but um, that's pretty rare. Well, there's a, a little trash talk, but that's fine. That's, that's what makes it fun. So. It's, it's, it's fun, friendly. It's friendly trash talk. You know, not really, you know, Kyle in particular, he's fun to tease because he's got a good sense of humor, good reaction to it. You know, he's confident enough that he doesn't get upset when you, when you tease him. You know, it's not like you're tearing him down. He gets it. Good. So you're a, what's, you're a freelance writer. What's, mm -hmm. uh, what's a common day for a freelance writer? Um, for me today, I'll go over my day. I woke up at eight, signed on my computer, checked my email, and I had um about fifty six hundred words of articles to do by two o'clock. So I got to work. And this is stuff that was assigned to me a while ago. It it, it it's an interesting um market because there are different ways to go about it. I mostly do online content, which comes from what they call somewhat derogatorily sometimes a content mill is what you are um, text broker, writer access, writer domain. It's, it's not always high paying, but if you're a quick writer, if you're good at it, you know, you can get good, good contracts, good, good freelance, um, private, private, uh, clients is what you want to get. I have a handful that help kind of fill out and, keep me busy. Like I wrote, from, I wrote all those articles till took me till about one o'clock. Um, then I showered, played a video game for an hour and finished a little bit more work and ate, ate some supper and came here. So if you're fast like me, cause it's, I'm always been a fast writer. 
it's a good market to get into because if you're fast and accurate and you know how to write quickly, you know, like I can do 5,000 words in three hours and even if even, even faster, if I focus. So, um, it's a lot of writing and that's why I've gotten so chubby since I moved back. Cause I just, I was a sports writer before. So I was around, I was moving, I was active and then coming here and just sit around. So it's, it's a hard battle. When did you know that, that you could write 5,600 words in a few hours? At what point in your life did that occur to you that that would be something you could pursue? Hmm. You know, it's funny. I um, knew I wanted to be a writer in first grade. Wow. Very, very soon. Yeah. And I've always pursued it. I, and it's funny. It's, I remember it. I have a sh sharp memory for some certain things, birthdays and stuff. Forget it. But things like this, I can remember there was a substitute teacher and we had an assignment to write a, write a tall tale. And he gave us a few examples and more, I mean, the people did some okay stuff, mostly fairly short. And Sometimes some of them were very derivative of the stories he told. And I had told, you know, my story was two pages, you know, front and back. And, and I have terrible penmanship. So it was just scribbled, no paragraph breaks, just up, up and down. And I just remember the teacher being just baffled, like this story that I just came up with. And that was kind of when I knew that I, the, that was something that I would like to do. That's great. So one of the things that you've done is uh, literally write the book on Frank Zappa. Well, a book. A book, yeah, okay. A book. <laughs> there are many, many it books. It looks like a pretty comprehensive book. I haven't read it, but I, uh, I looked it up. And uh, so what, what was the, your first interest, writing or music? Writing. Music came later. Um, as a kid, we just, it's interesting because my dad was 40 years older than me and my mom is... 28 years older than me. You know, they're 12, 12 year difference. So we didn't hear, you know, I was growing up in the eighties. We didn't hear, you know, the Madonnas, the princes. I mean, I knew who these people were, but they always had the radio on the oldie station, uh, Beatles, classic rock. My dad was a, a country, George Jones, that kind of stuff. Johnny Cash. So as kids, my sister and I, you know, our frame of reference for music and movie and movies and television too, because dad would watch Andy Griffith, Bonanza, uh, mom would watch I Love Lucy, stuff like it's really old stuff. So my sister and I, we would always, our friends would always be confused because we were always into older stuff. So it wasn't until kind of later that I got into um, Queen was a, a band that really influenced me heavily when I was young and then I really got into some probably about 16, 18, I started to get in pretty heavily into music and I still, still do still am to this day. So what, uh, what drew you to writing about Zappa and what did Zappa mean to music? Well, it's funny. I had a, a mixed history with Frank because I think, I think a lot of people do because he's got so much work. And if you hear the wrong thing, you're not going to like it. And that happened to me. I don't remember what it was. And I'm just like, this is just, just crap. And then I, I kept persisting and I eventually, you know, got it. And I started collecting it and, and really got into it. And I had written an essay in college as a master's student that about Zappa that my professor really, really liked. So I kind of kept that in the back of my mind. 
writing about him. And there's a publisher, uh, Sonic Bond, is um, they that published my book. They're doing it out of um, England, Great Britain. It's like a pop culture, rock and roll, television shows. There are all sorts of guides like mine. And my friend Dan was writing about a band, and I'm like, well, I'll pitch. See if see if they want to do it. I'll, I'll give it a shot. And he's like, sent him a list of different artists that I could write about, and he had said, well, you do Frank Zappa. I was like, well, there's, and I was, I was like, it was just limited. It's not a huge book, um, maybe like 150 pages. So, you know, I was limited. And he's like, well, you can go into detail about each album and each song. I was like, oh, I mean, he's got 75 albums before he died. And you know, there's over 100 now that have been released. And he's like, well, I'll just go up to Joe's Garage. That's that's a good stopping point. And as it was, I was about 50,000 words over. So I had to just start cutting and cutting and cutting. <laughs> it took me a while to do. It took longer than I expected, but... It's fun. It's cool. It's good to have a book like that out there. Something that reflects my interest. And Zappa for me was, you know, one of the true geniuses of, of rock. Like literally there's, you can do anything for the most part. I mean, he invented a lot of forms. Um, and some of his stuff is silly, but that's, you know, it's okay to laugh sometimes. Yeah. I, I, I was a drummer when I, coming through school and okay. somebody had a copy of the black page you know was, uh, i mean <laughs> mm -hmm. a lot of his music was just totally orchestrated it was all written mm -hmm. out and oh yeah and everybody thought oh look at all those notes you know <laughs> it was just amazing but uh could you play the black page no <laughs> I never, it was just like a, a thing out you know this this artifact that was out there that you that was not uh attemptable by any human being you know but look at this guy could think through this thing you know yeah but so that that was you know something that was was attractive to me that he could you know come up with that. But then when I listened to his more you know quote unquote popular music, it was like this is really awful. I didn't <laughs> like it, <laughs> you know. So so I had a mixed uh, mixed bag with with Frank Zappa. But um, yeah, sometimes the more serious stuff uh, is where you want to go to. Like even some of the silly silly stuff has moments of compositional greatness. You know, and if you're looking at it, this you know, away from the lyrical content, so the stuff that he does with with these pop songs is still it's like a, something you'd get from a, like a Duke Ellington or a George Gershwin, kind of that level of cleverness with the modulations and and stuff. You don't really see that in a lot of other pop songwriters of that time. So, but you know, listening to a song called Catholic Girls is, <laughs> yeah, when you know the lyrical content is. <laughs> yeah not easy sometimes yep i i got to meet vinnie caliuda once and i i didn't get to ask him about frank's <laughs> but i uh that was that was the closest i ever got to him so Vinny, yeah, vinnie's um was a good drummer yep he's amazing i mean still is mm -hmm. but i mean i don't know if he's a great person but he's he's a good drummer <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't know i don't know much about him as a person mm -hmm. and frank wasn't always a great person either but <laughs> what are you gonna do Okay, so your third game is uh, one that I recently heard the publisher say uh, pulled the publisher out of almost shutting down and now earns them enough to do a whole lot of experimental projects. And it's a 2016 design by Jacob Rixelius and is published in the U.S. by Stronghold Games. So what do you like about Terraforming Mars? Again, um, 
the complexity, the depth. And this is the one that I had mentioned that I'd only played once and that I really put on my list because I think that being in that environment would be a good place to play it. Because um, it's a game that you've played this one. You've played it, haven't you? I've played it. Yeah, yeah you know, it can take three, four hours. And I'm not always in the mood for that. And But if when I am, it's great. So it would be great to have a game like that there because there's so much depth to it, so much thinking, so many possibilities, and just like you said, there's many different ways to to win, there are different ways to play. It's imaginative. I like sci-fi. I grew up wanting to be you know, an ast- astronomer, and um, astronomer, or astrologist, astronomer. Yeah. The the actual science, yeah, scientific that's the one. science. One, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, w- I always get them confused. Yeah, I wanted to do that. I, you know, I collected books on stars. I wanted to be an astronaut, but I'm not that good at science. I'm not that mediocre at math, so middling, middling at math. But um, so yeah, I um, uh, that's what partially what draws me is the theme, but the mechanics are great. You just you know you can see the artwork, you can imagine these things on Mars. You can imagine how it would look, imagine how it goes, and it's. An interesting one because it's semi-cooperative because you're all trying to terraform Mars, but you're trying to do it better. So it seems realistic to how that kind of would go if that actually happened. So I kind of appreciate that too. So this game has had a little criticism for its graphic design, but does that work into the theme, do you think? Or... I mean, and, and like sort of the polar opposite, I think, would be Scythe, which has, you know, has always been praised for its artwork mm-hmm. and design and that kind of thing. But do you feel like you can get into the theme of both of those games, uh, regardless of the way that they're designed? What was the, the criticisms for terraforming? I've never heard those. Oh, yeah. It just, I mean, I think the um, there's there's different art on a lot of the cards. Okay. The, you know, it just doesn't look all that great a lot of them are sort of photo realistic renderings and mm-hmm. artwork and uh and you know i think people wanted it to be maybe a little more science fictiony instead of just these corporate boardrooms or that kind of thing that yeah. they show on the cards and that's an understandable complaint um it didn't really take me out of the game i i don't i get why people criticize games for that and it should, a game should look good and feel and there's a pro- I remember um, Kyle's copy of it was box just falling apart, you know. And there's so much stuff, so you want you want a game to have the most high quality components you can. And if it doesn't look good, then that's disappointing. If it plays well, is more important for me, so I, I can get into it. But you know, I would say Scythe is but is ultimately better at presenting artwork. It's more unified, coherent style. It's very stylistic. Um, you know, you look at the, the the cards. They have the bears. Always got bears on them, and it's different things. So yeah, yeah. I never really. I've only played it that game a handful of times once. So it it didn't affect my enjoyment, but I hadn't really thought about it. Okay. What so what what role do you think games like tabletop games play in society? Do games matter? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in today's modern world where things are less dangerous than they were, you know, we're not, you know, knocking down bears with a, with rocks anymore to eat. You just go to Seven Eleven to do that. And, um, I'll help you. Don't go to Seven Eleven to do that. Uh, sometimes it's only, you know, 
the only choice. But yeah. <laughs> um, it, it for it's the same with video games. I think is it serves as an outlet for a lot of energy, survival energy that we still have as a race, because our modern conveniences are still a lot of them are less than a hundred years old. You know, my, my dad was born on a farm and with, with an outhouse, you know, he, uh, a fact that I like to bring up is that I forget one of the Wright brothers survived long enough to see man land on the moon. So that's how fast things have progressed in the modern times. So people still have that need to the survival energy in you. I think it's a cause of a lot of angst. Like, well, I need to, people don't feel like they're taking control of their lives or, or full responsibility or full possibilities. And board games, like video games, are an outlet for that. Because in a video game, I can, like a, the game I was playing, a video game, I won't talk too much about it, but a Risk of Rain, you know, I'm running around in an alien world surviving with, with two guns in my, in my wits. And that's really cathartic. And a game like Terraforming Mars or Scythe, I'm waging war. I'm not really, but I, you know, I'm, I'm waging war in, in my mind, and I'm competing against people, and it it pushes pushes you to a higher state of mental thought. People people just think it's kids' games. It's not. It's important, and kids have it right because kids play to learn, and that's what um, adults need to do too. You know, don't think you outgrow a game because you're not a kid anymore. Or, think the only way to have fun is to get drunk or to, to do drugs or to have sex but those are all fun but you need to learn and adapt as a person and uh, well board games help with that so what what's the main ingredient for your favorite experience while gaming is it you know aesthetics or strategy or winning or the people or some for me it, it is people a lot of the times I want. I like to have a good group of people. I like to. Um, that's why I like going to the, the board game thing every every week. I actually go, almost every every day. It's open. Spend time with with the Kyle, Ramon, Jess, and see people. You build relationships. You know some some people, and there I wouldn't have necessarily spent time with, if it wasn't for that. And then now that I, we have this shared connection, I. I can learn more about them as a person and I'm glad that I know them. You know, it's just, it's interesting the way that it can connect you as a person. And um, for me that the social element is very important, but I also want a game to make me think, you know, I like the thematics of games. Like when, when you read the instruction manual and it says you are on Mars or you have to terraform, you know, it gets my, as a writer, it gets my brain thinking. Cause I also do write fiction and I try to put myself in the shoes or, or think of that. There's a bit, a bit of a role playing and I like that element. Um, winning is not as important as it used to be. It used to, it used to bother me that I didn't win every game. <laughs> and um, playing this group has really helped like to call me on that, to know it's okay to lose. It's fine. It'll happen. And as long as you're having fun, that's what matters. So, you know, like winning is winning. I want to win, but I'm not going to, that's not the most important enjoying a game and feeling connected with people is definitely the most important. Have you ever tried designing a game? When I was younger, um, I would come up with not nothing like, I mean, you know, you have a game and, um, 
mine was more like I would take a deck of cards and we were camping. My parents owned some land on Thunder Bay River, just uh, far from Posen and uh, Lachine area. And I would, um, we didn't have cable and we had electricity and having, you know, a toilet in the house. So I'd sit there and my cousin Dana, who's like kind of a second sister, she's 10 days older than me. She would always come out there with us, and she's good friends with my sister. She's two years younger than us, and we just sit there and make up games, you know, different games like that. Um, when I was a kid, I was more into video games as a kid, so I would try to think up different um, ideas for games like that. Um, but I've never sat down and, as an adult and tried to do that. It would be an interesting um, mental idea, I think. Because I, I worry that I would take mechanics from other games. But there's only so many you can really do, I suppose. And a lot of the games have shared mechanics. You know, card laying, tile laying, world building, meeple placing. So he's got to make it unique. Do you get an opportunity to write fiction anymore or these days or... Yeah, I'm always working on a book or two. Um, right now I'm working on a book. Um, see, I always, I'm hard on myself when it comes to that, so I haven't sent anything in for publication. I'd like to do full-time. If that would be the only thing I could do, would be nice. But, but you know, that's a, that's a dream. It's, implausible, it's plausible, but, you know, it's hard. Like, you look at Stephen King, J.K. Rowling, Writers like that, um, not necessarily, you know, and I like, you know, I like them. I like, I'm actually reading Stephen King book right now, but, you know, they, they capture, you know, an imagination, especially for young people. And that's something that I like. My problem is I always want to make it too literary because I did study literature and I read literature. So I'm like, well, that's not what, you know, Joyce Carol Oates would do. I don't think James Joyce would write that. So I, I, get, I get hard on myself and, uh, no, I'm, I, I, I'm always got some rut fiction going on in the background. Then it's seems like it takes backstage, unfortunately. But I usually try to do a thousand words a day of that, five hundred wow. to a thousand words. That, that sounds like good progress. So you have to read a lot, I imagine, to be a writer. Um, what? How do you pick that? What's what? What kind of stuff do you read? You try to just read a lot of different things, or? Um, I do a lot of. For for work, like if I'm writing for a client or whatever, they'll present me with a topic, what they want to cover. So, for example, I just did a, one of my clients is um, has a golf cart website. So I had to write about how, to, how a golf cart fuel pump works. I had no idea. Of course I didn't. No, who, who does? Well, there are some, you know, there's a, he gave me some sources and I figured it out and wrote 1,800 words on that and... Um, so yeah, I do have to do reading, do research uh, for pleasure. Um, I do a lot of fiction reading, reading because it's a lot like research for me. Like, how does you know somebody like Stephen King write? How does you know, J.K. Rowling write? How do these popular writers write? And how do these great writers create imaginative worlds? Like, I'm reading a Philip Roth book. Um, is it? I already mentioned Joyce Carol Oates. She's very inspiring to me. Um, Margaret Atwood. The Blind Assassins was great. Um, I actually, after I read that book, I, I structured one of mine in a similar way. But see, I always finish them, and then I'm like, 
I need to edit them. I need to do this. I need to do that because I don't do a lot of planning when I start a book. But like um, James Elroy, LA, LA Confidential writer, he writes very detailed outlines and maps for what he wants to write about, like what his characters are going to do, their interactions together, where his plot's going to go. Sometimes they're as long as a book. So then when he writes the book, it's almost automatic because he's a very um, Hemingway or um, Carver, Raymond Carver-esque writer, just very minimal. It's almost like reading a screenplay. <laughs> but it works. It works for his style. It's very hard-boiled, and he's very good at it. I could, I've could, i tried that. It just doesn't work for me because when I'm playing, um, you know, I play little keyboards too, and I, I'm very well, I should try this. And I try, you know, a little improvisational and that's how I am with my writing. Like maybe I'll do this and do that. And then, and then it kind of gets stuck in a couple dead ends. Like I've been working on this book. It's about dreams and it's the concept has changed. I've tr got about halfway through th two, I'm halfway through the third attempt at this idea. And I want to try to make it into a series where people move into different dreams and stuff. But it changes every time I do it. So I, <laughs> I just, maybe I think I feel strongest about this, this, what I'm doing right now. So maybe this will be the one, I don't know. Well, they say games are never done, just published. And I think it's gotta be the same thing for books. Oh, oh yeah. I'm sure there's, I know there's plenty of writers. Um, I, I mentioned Stephen King a few times because I know he's very vocal and he's amusing. He's a funny guy. He'll, you know, like he sends a book out and he's just like, Oh, <laughs> he can, he can get it published cause he's Stephen King, you know? And, and some, sometimes the quality is hit or miss on some of his more recent stuff. But when he hits, he's still that he's still got it. That's great. So your last game is the oldest game that we know the rules for that's still being played. And uh, it originated in China and has a reputation that kind of ties it both to philosophy and almost martial art type of thing mm -hmm. so this is go why go um and it's interesting to because i mentioned the the simplicity that builds into complexity and i think go is the perfect example of that have you played it before i have not basically you do you can play anywhere on the board you place one stone that's, that's all you do and you're moved there very only one or two movement restriction rules I mean, you don't move your placement rules. Like you can't place a piece if it's going to be, if a piece is completely surrounded, it just, it goes away. It's captured basically. And you can't place a piece if it's going to be captured or if it's in a place that has like is surrounded by people. So that, that it's, it's just simple. Like in, it, there's no movement like in chess. I love chess, but knowing the movements of the players is, is difficult. You know, for, for a lot of people, I think that that's what hangs them up. Again, you know, in Go, it's just, and I, but I think that the very simplicity is what makes it hard. It took me a long time of trying to play that game to figure it out. I eventually had to get a, um, a Go tutor online, like a, um, a program to kind of teach me. And I'm like, okay, I get it. It's a defensive game. It's not an offensive game. If you're going to go around trying to capture everybody's pieces, you're going to lose. It's area control essentially and you know you build lines because when you when you pieces connect they become one unit so so yeah it's essentially area control and um and i think that there's an infinite number of ways to play it and 
relative to chess where there are, you know, a lot of games that can happen, but not limitless, you know, I'm sure. I mean, I know there's a, a limit of the possible go games, but by comparison, it's um much less. And I think that, you know, that game, the simplicity of it would be something you could teach somebody. Like say I was there, somebody on in my little secluded snow Island I was like, what's this game? Well, let's go. I'll teach it to you. And I'll, you know, I could teach it to somebody in an afternoon and then we could spend the rest of our lives or the rest of the winter trying to figure out how to, how to be better at it. So it's, it's a good one. It's doesn't get played a lot in the West. And it also ties into my interest in Eastern philosophy and, and religion, Taoism, Buddhism, stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, you, know, you mentioned that and that, that is important. You know, I had a friend in Korea, South Korea, and he says that uh, I'd mentioned Go, and he's like, man, they, he's a taxi drivers, like, you can see them playing Go, like, while they're waiting to pick up. They're just sitting there on their bench playing Go. It's just a, everywhere over there. You don't see it much over here by comparison. Did did your interest in Go come out of your interest in, in Eastern philosophy or the other way around? Um, I don't think... I don't know if they influenced each other per se. I would say I was always kind of interested in Eastern philosophy, um, Eastern religions. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a Catholic household and, you know, no, no um, offense to anybody who believes it just wasn't for me. And, you know, if, if it is for everybody else, you know, I, that's good. If they find peace with that. I'm happy for them. My mom is very happy and very religious person. And that, that makes me happy. It just wasn't right for me. I don't know why, but Eastern religion is a better fit. And I always kind of thought that even when I didn't really even understand what it was, I kind of got, you know, the, the cliche, the Western cliche of the Buddhist monk or the, the meditation or whatever. It seemed interesting. So, but as an adult, I, I um, read some, some books and some different things. And I read some Joseph Campbell, some other things that interested me. And I, I, maybe it came out of that. I don't remember exactly. I always kind of was always interested in games. I used to read Hoyle's book of games as a kid to teach myself uh, solitaire games and all sorts of things. So I'd learned about Go, but I, the exact origin when it became really interesting to me is, I'm not sure. It's, I, I, I think it was just something I wanted to, to, to know because it was there and I'd heard about it and it frustrated me that I couldn't figure it out. So I played around with it until I did. Can you get insight into the that philosophy or whatever you've studied or learned from the game of Go? Or is it just a game that happened to come out of that culture and people have ascribed those kind of things to it? No, I think that um, there's some Eastern philosophy there. Like I said, um, I've been comparing the chess and Go quite a bit. You know, I mean, I don't think chess is, is 100% Western. I think it might have came out of India. India, yeah. 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 Um, but you know it 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 has a lot of um the modern version of it i suppose i would say it has a lot of you know like the idea of war and combat and strict strictness you know strictness of movements and rules and stuff like that which is great i love chess i i feel like people who are listening to this going to be like this guy hates chess no i i love chess but um go is is simplicity itself you know you place a stone on a board it's like the very cornerstone of a lot of eastern philosophies is stone you know like the the um like the zen garden and you place a stone in there and it the one stone 
it doesn't seem like it's much, but it can upset the entire board. And if you're like a good go player, you can see ahead. You can, I kind of know like where I should play and, and things like that and what a good place to play is and how I can connect my little territories and stuff. But, you know, a good player would be able to look ahead, like after a few stones and kind of get an idea of where things are going. And it's just a couple of things. It's a very few influences. So it's kind of very similar to the, uh, you know, Eastern Zen, I think. And I think that that's, well, and the, and the go culture is interesting too, because the, um, you don't talk, you don't taunt when you're playing a game of go, you just, the only thing you say is Atari, which means essentially danger, which, um, if you play a piece and it's potentially going to capture somebody else, as you say, Atari and, and, um, to warn them, that's the only thing you say. And if you're going to lose, if you look at it and there's just no way you can win, it's more honorable to just stand up and bow and say, you know, I'm done. So that's a very not American thing. I mean, Americans would fight to the bitter end and no, I can do what I can do. And no, it's more important to fight to the end. Asians are like, why would I waste my energy when I it's I'm losing. There's no, no, no point in investing more of myself into this so I can move on because it is ultimately a game, but they can learn from that. They use it to learn. And I think like they used to with chess, you know, learn um courtly manners and strategic thinking and stuff like that. What does the end game of Go look like? I guess I I know a little bit about how it's played, but not really like when when do you know that when it's over? It's over. Basically, when both players say it is, um, you can pass, and if I pass and then you pass, it's game over. So it's usually like if somebody if if it makes no more sense to play because it, if you're gonna if the only thing you can do is play into an area where somebody is gonna just immediately take your stone. Um, you know, he would pass. And then if the other person, you know, they might get a little bit more, you know, at the end, the end game is a lot of finagling for a couple, maybe trying to capture a few extra pieces or push a little bit further. But, you know, ultimately, um, it's just when both players think it's over. So that's kind of, it's, it's, it can go, go on for a while. Or when one player resigns, he says that, that's it. It's, it's not like chess where, you know, it's checkmate or checkers where everybody's gone. It's just player decided, which is again another very simple element. You know, it's, there's no artificial ending point. It's just when oh, we're done. <laughs> That's good. Um, so, what do you see next for tabletop gaming, either in the activity in general or for you personally? Uh, for the in general, I think that it's really gone through a boom, and I, I wonder if that's going to be sustainable. Or if that's going to you know decrease because, you know, I follow um, fundraising website of Kickstarter. Kickstarter. You know, board games are all over Kickstarter and they're one of the more successful. Like they actually make the most money on Kickstarter now than anything else. That doesn't surprise me. And people usually finish because I watch a, a web series called um, Kickstarter Scammers. I think it's what it's called. Something like that. And it's a guy who goes over different, mostly video games. Uh, kickstart failures or outright scams because people in video games is so much harder because you can't predict like well I, I think a half a million should be good and then you run into a programming error or you need to change your engine or whatever but in, in board games it's you know 
people have the idea, they have the build, all they really need is money to essentially make it and get it to people. So I think that, that the Kickstarter will continue to be huge for that. I, I don't see that changing. As he said, it's the number one moneymaker and people are mostly successful with it. So yeah, they should absolutely keep pushing for it. Um, I'd like to see, I don't know, more female, female oriented games. Um, I don't know how many female uh, designers there are even. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty, but you always hear about the male ones. Just it's the world we live in. I'd like to hear more about that. And I know there are at one point that group here was more women than it was men. It's changed unfortunately, but, um, or it would be nice if it was a balance, you know, you, it's, it becomes a boys club, but that's not much you can do about that. It's not like I, I dislike the guys I hang out with. It's good. It's just nice to have a a nicer diversity in the group. Um, so that'd be nice if I could see that. I, I think that, you know, games are going to keep being big. It's just capturing the imagination of, pe of more people. Because board games like this have always been around. There have been your axes and allies, but those are always so... Like, you would need a room like this, you know, on a table twice as big as this one we have, to play a game for a year. To play, it, really, you need to you need that kind of investment in a lot of these games. And most people don't have time for that. You know, they want a three-hour, four-hour game, one-hour game. And that seems to be where it's going, but away from the simpler, not to knock them, because they have their, their place, but Scrabble, Monopoly, Life, you know, it's kind of replacing them you know i know a lot of people that didn't play games until they played Catan, and i don't really care for Catan, but it is it is a good game to start with you know um it's simple and there's a lot of strategic depth again i think that's a big thing with the modern board games is that they're simple and they pull you in with story and depth and imagination and I hope it keeps going in that direction, and I, I, I don't see it stopping anytime soon. I mean, you never know. I mean, like the vinyl and music, the vinyl boom. Is that ever going to go away? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. It's just probably funny for, for your generation to see that and be like, I used to spend, I remember even college, I would spend 50 cents on a record. Now I look at it at the record shop here, it's $25, and it's like, <laughs> what's so different? You know, the demand. It's different, you know, so maybe that'll be the same way with board games. Yep, that's the market. We'll see. Everybody keeps predicting a, a bubble for board games, but I, I don't, I think the other folks that are saying that's not going to happen, it'll just taper off or probably more right. But Yeah, it'll, I don't think it'll it'll burst. It, it, nothing is, will grow forever. It's impossible, but um, maybe a, like you said, a slow tapering off or just an evening out. Where it's like, because there's only so many people that are going to play games. But the thing, but the interesting thing, uh, and Kyle proves it, is board gamers, you know, like, really, I think that they're only, the, even if it gets down to just a handful of people, you're going to have your Kyles that buy every game. He's got 300 games in his shop, you know, or more. And I think he's played majority of them at least once. So... But there is 3,000 published every year, so. Very true, very true. At I, least I, right now. So. I don't think he can keep up with that. <laughs> Financially, at the very least, or space-wise, you're not going to, I think you get 3,000 board games in that room, let alone on the storage <laughs> shelves. But, uh, 
Yeah, you know, there's. I think that if it if it stays at that level, it's probably about where it'll it'll be. But as for me, I'm just you know um, trying to keep playing new games, try to keep getting better, try to. There's lots that I want to try still that I've never tried. I've not I've not done Nippon, Puerto Rico, um, Western Legends. I know it's supposed to be pretty good. I wanted to play that. I haven't had the chance to so. Just keep expanding what I play and having a good time and making good personal connections. Sounds good. So my last formal question, uh, snowmobile on its way to wherever you were in the snowmageddon had to cross a river and on its way, it hit the far bank and three of the games that you picked bounced out and were washed away down the (laughs) river. So which one do you hope is, uh, still there when you unpack? My, my my brain immediately well, while you were setting the question up i kind of knew where it was going my brain went to go that's the one i would want it'd be the easiest to teach and the one with the uh the most strategic depth but then then i'm you know washing like a hundred dollars or more of games down the river so <laughs> maybe maybe scythe <laughs> they're replaceable i guess they are very true so eric where can folks find you on the interwebs if they're interested in your work i am on facebook twitter and instagram i don't remember the handles or the tags um i'm a small dog on facebook right now it's my mom's dog i'll be I'm picking her up tomorrow to watch her for a couple of days instagram i think is going cube i think is what it's called twitter i just think is my name it's a picture of william s burroughs holding a cat he was like a cat lover. He sus- subscribed to Cat Fancy his whole life. If this strange man, the, <laughs> the stuff he wrote, he loved cats. Um, and you can also find me on, find my music on Bandcamp. Uh, uh, Gergy, G-E-R-G-Y, 12, like the number 12, 1 and 2. It's um, electronic music, um, experimental kind of sound collage music too. Um, I, have a, I have quite a few albums on there. Uh, I like to do that on the side too. They're all free. I don't. I don't expect any money. So it's just a hobby. So people want to check that out. They're free too. Great. Well, Eric, thank you very much for being here. Well, thank you. I had a good time. Well, that's it for this episode of Gamers Stuck in Snowmageddon. Thanks again to Eric for being a good sport. This podcast was recorded in the studios of Traverse Area Community Media in Traverse City, which are available to everyone. So find out more at tacm.tv. This nice music was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. This episode was sponsored by Archipelago Creative, LLC, makers of Mackinac Island Treasure Hunt card and board games at MackinawTreasure.com. Look for more episodes of this podcast at anchor.fm slash gameinsnow. If you have any comments about this show or want to be a guest or want to suggest a guest, please email me at gameinsnow at gmail.com. I'm Jim Maratsky. Thanks for listening. <laughs>